Welcome to Rock Album Analysts, your weekly podcast where three lifelong friends, rock musicians, and rock fans take an in-depth look at a different rock album each week. This is your host, David Lucarelli. This is John Carson. This is Mike Gavigan. And today, before we kick things off, I'm going to play a new song I've been working on called Rock and Roll Has Just Begun. crew does their second reunion of all original members this time it is much more successful than the last time they are once again an arena level headlining act uh they release red white and crew which is a 
best of compilation that features three songs, three new songs, which we probably won't talk too much about today. Uh, but then they do Crew Fest, taking a page from Ozzy Osbourne, Ozfest, um, playing with a bunch of relatively new up and coming bands and them headlining a la Ozzy Osbourne. And then taking a page from Kiss, they get back together to uh, release the first new album since the new reunion, Saints of Los Angeles, which is recorded between 2007 and 2008 at the Lightning Bolt Garage in Los Angeles, California. James Michael, Nikki Six, and DJ Ashba producing also known as 6AM, and the album is released on June 24th, 2008. So uh, overall general thoughts about Saints of Los Angeles. Uh, it's actually an album that gave my um, gave me hope again for Molly Crew. There was, uh, it's actually an album I, I kind of like. I mean, it's not perfect, but there's a good uh, three or four songs on there that are really, really strong. Um, so I really actually, um, it was the Molly Crew album that I bought, having not even realized that they had put out, I think, two or three between, you know what I mean, the two or three prior ones that they had put out. Mike? I, you know, again, I love the fact that uh, they sort of, you know, revisit the Los Angeles Hollywood theme, and there's no better band to do that than Motley Crew. I also enjoyed the fact that pretty much every song is relatively short uh, compared to, let's say, some of the songs on the self-titled Motley Crue record with John Karabi. Um, you know, I also, I, I think I enjoyed also for the production. I think it's a really great mix and the production is kick-ass and crisp and you know, it, it's fun to listen to in that way. Um, and that makes, you know, songs that might be not so strong uh, equally fun to listen to. Um, but you know, listen to it now, uh, you know, compared to listen to it when it was released. It, it's, it still sounds current. It doesn't sound dated. Um, with the exception of a few samples and lo-fi effects and some of the, the vocals and the breakdowns. But it, overall, the production's great, and there's definitely some, some standout tracks on the record. I enjoy it. Yeah, so this album, in some ways, is kind of a concept album that's sort of loosely based upon uh, The Dirt, the book. Mm -hmm. You know, So it, it kind of corresponds with that. It's um, as much as Motley Crue is a, is a self-reflexive band, I think this album, for better or worse, sort of hits the limits of how self-reflexive they can be because it is essentially Motley Crue writing a very specific album about being in Motley Crue and their, and their history. And um, also for a band that has sort of built their reputation on being the wildest and craziest and most decadent and debauched band in all of rock and roll, they've sort of painted themselves into a corner, right? Because now mm -hmm. they're not really those guys anymore. So all they can really do is write about their past, but mm -hmm. they do it well. And uh, so the album kicks off with a song called L.A. MF, which is originally came from graffiti, right? After you were a graffiti mm. artist, you would sign your graffiti sign and then put in small letters LAMF, which stands for like a motherfucker, right? Um, yes. So that's what they're playing upon. Uh, they're not the first to do it, but uh, your thoughts about LAMF, John? I liked it. I, I actually thought that it sort of harkened back to um, in the beginning from uh, 
Shout out to Devil. I like that kind of scape and setting it up for this like post-apocalyptic world that we all live in where Motley Crue is, you know, king. I liked it. I mean, I, I didn't, you know, it, it wasn't like genius to me. It wasn't, but it was still really interesting. Set the stage, got it going, you know, where I wanted it to go. So, Mike? Yeah, I, again, the, Motley's always been a band that, you know, when they use intros, it, it works. It adds something to the, to the, to the, to the flavor of the record. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that uh, looking at the packaging, these, these are the, the only lyrics uh, that are printed in the, uh, the packaging are uh, the lyrics to, if you want to call it lyrics, or the narrative to LAMF. There, there are no other lyrics in, in the, uh, the fold-out in, in the CD, which, would, you know, granted the fold-out was like a two-sided poster kind of way, but it would have been cool to, you know, to be able to read the lyrics as you go through the tunes. Uh, but either way, it, it's a cool intro. It, it, in a lot of ways, it reminded me of the beginning of Unholy, uh, you know, on Kiss Revenge. And also reminded mm. me a bit of uh, the song Black Sabbath on the Black Sabbath record in a way. It's a sort of, you know, flat fist kind of. The tritone, you know. yeah. Yeah, the tritone, uh-huh. yeah. It, it's cool. You know, you know, it's only a minute long. It leads into the, you know, the next song. So it, it works. It, it definitely, you know, it, it sets up the record, you know, for the concept that, you know, that we just spoke about. It works. Yeah. I don't think it's as successful as the intro uh, in the beginning leading into Shout at the Devil. I think that. I mean, that plays upon the whole idea of being the chosen one and it in in this age of the future versus this is them saying, well, we made it when 100,000 other people didn't and too bad for them. So, you know, yeah. it, there's, there, yeah. there is a certain aspect of it where it's like, well, you know, it, it, it's it's hard to relate. We all grew up, you know, thinking that we would be the chosen ones. And so for the ones that actually turned out to be that, um, calling attention to the fate of those that weren't is is a little harder to get behind as a, as a general message. <laughs> um, so then it goes into face down in the dirt. Your thoughts about that, John? I, that's actually one of the strongest songs on the album. I mean, I, I love the sort of like, I'd rather be dead than have not uh, done what I wanted to do. You know what I mean? I want to break it, you know, a chance at breaking the rules is a great, I, you know, great line. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's the typical, uh, you know, heavy metal song about screw the system. I'm going to work outside of the system and not be a slave to it. Um, you know, and, and it's a strong I mean, I love that, you know, I'd rather have a bullet in my head than, you know, sold out essentially is what he's saying. Um, the, uh, I like that the intro, nice little bass part at the beginning and the whole, like, it's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it. You know, that kind of thing makes it sound even cooler. You know, it definitely gets that Motley Crue post-apocalyptic vibe going, um, you know, really well. I, I really, I, it's one of the stronger songs in the album. Um, I feel, um, just lyrically and musically as well. So, Mike? Yeah, I, I totally agree, John. And also, um, listening to this record, I, it, it's cool to hear how strong Vince's vocals are. I mean, they, they sound really full, and you know, whether that's production or what's going on here, but I mean, it, it, it's, his voice sounds strong, and you know, that, that definitely carries the album through. Uh, but you know, I agree. This is, you know, there's no better band to write this kind of song than Motley Crue. I mean, you've got the sort of you know, the kid with a dream concept, and then, you know, the fact that you know they're gonna it's either do or die you know i'm either gonna make it or not you know and it's not gonna be on your rules and i'd rather be dead than you know have to be you know someone like you i mean you know it's the ultimate you know f you in a way to 
you know, but it's mm-hmm. also cool in a way, sort of like with, um, you know, from a, a hindsight kind of thing, like we are saying, you know, <laughs> again, maybe they're telling the story of the, the story that's already been told, but it's kind of cool and refreshing to, to, to be able to, to go through that experience with the band on this record, particularly this song. Um, but you know, musically, I was wondering where, where the verse came from to me. I'm thinking the verse reminds me quite a bit of the Ted Nugent song, Wango Tango. It's got like, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it sounds like Wango Tango and or Black Sabbath, the mob rules, yeah. but they throw in that variation, which is like a half step chord mm-hmm. away from, from the main riff, which harkens back, I think, to Nikki Six's ingenious sort of Japanese approach to songwriting, where he takes something that's already been done multiple times by different bands, and he twists it just enough that you go, why hasn't anybody ever done that before? Yeah. Yeah, it's also a Vinnie Vincent approach in a way, too. Like, he'll you know, do something that sounds sort of, you know, tried and true, but then he'll throw in like a flat fifth or like some sort of, you know, weird interval and it makes it different. It makes it more creative uh, instead of just, you know, a carbon copy. So I, I agree. One of the stronger songs in the album for sure. Yeah. I don't know if I like this song as much as you guys do. I, this one's written by uh, Six, Michael Ashba, Fredrickson, who's also a guy who co-writes a lot of stuff with Aerosmith in the modern era. Um, it, it's okay. Um you know, I, I I do think that there's 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 this kind of self justification about them having quote unquote done it their own way, but really they didn't have a choice. I mean, there were no other options. It wasn't <laughs> like they could have gone to Harvard or you know um, like become <laughs> businessmen. So for them to say, well, you know, that's what we were trying to avoid. They, okay, but it also wasn't even an option. Right. I mean, so, yeah, but it's but it's OK. I mean, it, it, it sets it sets the mood and then it goes into one of my favorite songs. What's it going to take? Right. I love that song as well. That is uh, a great song about, you know, it, it's a nice insight into their, um, you know, how they made it. Um, I like the riff a lot. You know what I mean? I'm trying to think if this is. It's a, it's a lot heavier than the song after this because the song after this, which is down at the whiskey or whatever, is um, the bad version of this song. You know what I mean? I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain mm-hmm. it. Like it's, yeah. this has a really good, solid riff to it. Um, you know, and I, I can get behind it. I, I believe in what he's singing. Um, and it's definitely like a, just a stronger song uh, than the one that follows it. Again, it's, Again, at this point, I'm like, I can't believe there's like, you know, two whole, three whole songs that I'm actually kind of digging for this album. Um, so, yeah, it, it really, it stands out strong. It's great, great lyrics, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, they're in their line about taking it to the streets or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff about how they had to do it on their own. And again, I know that part of the message is, is like, well, they didn't really have any other options. They were just doing what they were supposed to do. But still, it's a good way to sort of celebrate their history you know, and what they've accomplished. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, the, it's sort of, you know, autobiographical in a way. I mean, they're saying like, you know, the man at the label says they're going to write a hit and, it, you know, it's like they're semi-questioning, but they're also confident in what they do and, and they have a path and they're proud of it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think the, the chorus itself is pretty catchy, pretty memorable. Um, but it was something that hit me too when I was listening to the CD, particularly the song, 
the chorus chords and the vocal melody reminds me of some of the stuff that's on the Brother Kane Seeds CD, which is also produced by Marty. Ah, and also okay. there's a lot of co-writes on this on this album as well with, with Marty as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a great album, by the way. This album is, is totally solid all the way through, but it's cool to see how, you know, producers can sort of have you know, a feel and that will come across in, no matter what they do in terms of work. Um, and it just made, again, the, the idea behind these podcasts is to, you know, rediscover the music that we like, but also go down the path of stuff that might be, you know, similar, that it might remind us of. So uh, definitely worth checking out the Brother Kane uh, Seeds CD. But um, yeah, it's a strong tune. And again, it just ties in with the concept of them sort of, you know, celebrating who they are and, um, you know, singing that in a song. And it has a classic Nikki Six playfulness with words, right? Mm -hmm. Where he sort of calls attention to what's it going to take to make it here and what's it going to take to make it out of here? Yeah. Like actually essentially meaning the exact same thing. And I, I love that 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 playfulness that that he gets when he's firing on all cylinders and and really puts it out there so then down at the whiskey which i agree with you john is kind of the flip song flip side of what's it going to take to make it um i don't think it's bad to me it just it reads as a more romanticized version like this is him looking back on those days a little more fondly not like holy shit we're running out of money and we're going to get kicked out onto the street <laughs> yeah yeah it is definitely it is a more romanticized version but even the way that it's played it's sung it goes back to to me i swear i, I hear cheap trick in it again i i mm -hmm. i think the whole cheap trick blueprint that you know, Motley Crue swallowed in terms of its sort of like power poppiness to it and that kind of stuff. I think it's, uh, it's not a bad song. Well, yeah, it's not a bad song, but it's not one that I would say put on my playlist of favorite Motley Crue songs. Like it's interesting to listen to and, you know, hear the, you know, Oh, what a wacky time we had, you know, and that kind of stuff. So I, I, I just, I just feels that it, I just feel that it's a little more poppy than it should be considering this is how far we've gotten in the album. Now, again, if you go with my like third, fourth song of, of any album is always supposed to be the hit. You know what I mean? Were they, was this a, supposed to be a single? Was this ever released as a single? It was not. No. Okay. Then I don't know. Yeah. It's, um, but it's, it's the most poppy on the album. It seems like to me. So Mike, what yeah. do you think? Yeah. And sure. Also from a sort of a man on the street, you know, tourist perspective, if, if you don't live in Los Angeles, then, you know, you'd be interested to know what it is to, you know, hang out at the, at the whiskey, you know, for whatever that is worth, you know, I mean, everybody has their own experiences of that, but, uh, you know, again, no other band, you know, could uh, sell that concept more so than Motley. I think it, you know, it's deserving of them and I think they do it well. Um, you know, but I mean, again, some of the things that stand out for me with, you know, this CD and also this track, is the guitar sounds in the mix it's it's so well produced it's you know far and above some of the stuff that was on the the new tattoo record in terms of production um i kind of like the yeah 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 yeahs in the second chorus it's kind of like a kiss like thing you know and i i dug that um and i like all the, the, the guitars in terms of like the, you know they're, they're layered it, it's almost like you're kind of listening to motley Crue in a way if they had like two guitar players in the band you because know, i'm hearing a lot of interplay with the guitars i'm not sure if there was some other if DJ Asper plays some stuff on the thing or what was going on there, but I'm hearing a lot of like interplay with the guitars that I'm not really hearing on other Motley Crue records, which to me is totally refreshing. 
So my understanding is that Nikki did fairly elaborate demos of these songs with DJ okay. Ashba and James Michael, and being that they were songwriting writing on most of these songs too. And mm-hmm. then it was a matter of going in and having Vince replace the vocals and Tommy overdub his drums and, and Mick do his guitars. And a lot of the guitars on this album, I think, uh, were recorded um, using plugins like uh, oh. Eleven and stuff. I don't think a lot of these guitar sounds are are just an amp and a and a mic and a Marshall. Um, okay. I'm not quite as enamored of the the sound of this album as you are, Mike. I find okay. like overall it's a little over compressed for my hmm. taste. Okay. Um, but I mean, you're right. There's some cool, interesting production stuff going on. And um, I also think that the, the line about how, you know, we slept all day in our clothes, but that's okay in Hollywood uh, is almost a callback to um, don't go away mad, just go away where, you know, we were shooting pool all night, sleeping half the day, and, you know, yeah. as, as somebody that's shown up through, various circumstances at Hollywood clubs in his pajamas. I know, <laughs> I know how this stuff can happen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's usually a good story behind it. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. But the, the, idea, the idea is to show up nonetheless, you know, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so then we move on to probably my favorite song on the album, Saints of Los Angeles. Yeah, I would go so far as to say this is in the top five of my favorite Motley Crue songs. Um, it's got a great, I mean, it's just, a, it's got a little touch of uh, Wild Side in it with the riff. Absolutely. Um, it's got a great, you know, I mean, it's just a perfect song um, in terms of like, you know, it, it captures that. It's like an old school Motley Crue song. It captures a moment in L.A., um, and then it also exalts them as saying that they're, you know, the saints of Los Angeles. They're the, you know, they're the ones that gave it all up to become famous by selling their soul or doing whatever. Um, it's, and the, I mean, the, you can't go wrong with that gang. I mean, they even say gang vocal, like in the, the title of the song, which I don't understand at all. Like, is there a version that doesn't have a gang vocal? Yeah, there's, there's two <laughs> versions. One has a bigger sounding gang, more gang vocal chorus. It's not that, it's not night and day, but Okay. All right. So at any rate, I just love the way that the, the chorus goes. I mean, it's, it's, I would argue that it's maybe you know, in my top five favorite Molly Cruz songs. It's really a strong song. Um, I can't even, I could go on and on about how great each, you know, I mean, again, there's the whole rape thing in it, which is bad, <laughs> but again, um, you know, and I, I wish they hadn't gone there, but I, again, they're painting a picture, you know what I'm saying? So, it's not necessarily them behind it or whatever. So, Mike, what do you think? I think, you know, particularly with this song, you know, this definitely doesn't sound like a band that is sort of wearing out their welcome or is, you know, really just regurgitating things they've done in the past. It seems like a band is fresh and they're, they're focused. Um, it, it, you know, which I guess if you look at the team that they're working with, you got, you know, all these guys, the producers and people contributing in terms of the writing and stuff. So, obviously, you had a lot of buy in from people that were you know, interested in making a really good record. Um, and, and again, I think I listen to this record more so, again, Dave, you know, enjoying the production in a way. Like if a record doesn't sound good, the last thing you want to do is listen to it. You know, sure. to me, this is, at least this record sounds better than some of the stuff they had done uh, prior, in my opinion, um, you know, for what that's worth. 
but still, this is definitely one of those songs we could say, okay, I could see this being a great song in a, in a live situation, in a concert situation. It'd be killer. Um, and it ties in with, you know, the theme of, you know, them writing sort of about themselves in Hollywood and Los Angeles. And, you know, I love the line, uh, you know, one day you will confess and pray to the saints of Los Angeles. It, it, it's, it's a great line, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's definitely one of the strongest, strong, strongest songs on the album, for sure, if not the strongest. Yeah, I think it's a song that works musically and lyrically on a bunch of different levels. I think you're totally right, John. The riff is a little bit of a nod to Wild Side. Um, also, the hook is uh, the we are, we are uh, mm-hmm. thing is is stolen from uh, that song, Youth of the Nation. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you're going to steal, steal from the best. And that was a good song. And this is a good song, too. So, um, you know, the, the kind of proto-rapping thing going on in the verses is something that Vince was really, I mean, in a sense, he's been doing that since Shout at the Devil, but um, also kind of did something similar to that where where the, he's singing over the band, shouting out words, which is like a big rap thing. They did that on Sick hmm. Love Song on uh, Red, White and Crew. But, um, I, you know, in terms of the lyrics, I think uh, it, it works in a couple different ways. One, uh, the band is kind of the saints of Los Angeles in the sense that they're no longer there. It's not like you're going to go to the whiskey or the rainbow uh, and run into them on a reliable basis. Like you would have say Lemmy for motorhead when he was still around, <laughs> but the legend of what they accomplished and, and you know, there's the liquor store where they used to work. There's the apartment where they used to have their parties. There's the clubs that they played. Like, you know, they're the stories live on as if they were sort of sainted figures that you know rose up from from this place yeah and then it's also kind of ironic too because the things that they're talking about are far from them being saints in any way shape or (laughs) or form um but it is interesting too there's a kind of a noir aspect of it when they're talking about um you know there's going to be a fight and they're Mm -hmm. no longer just like saying yeah i'm a tough motherfucker like they were saying on generation swine it's like okay i got a place you can go to stay out of sight and you know that has a mattress where the cops won't come and arrest you you know (laughs) it's like a much much more darker but like realistic kind of thing like if you're in trouble you can hide here for a little while um and you know, John, you're you're 100 right. That the thing about the girl being passed out and everybody having her way with her is problematic to say the least. I mean, you're essentially talking about a gang rape. Um, there's another story that Nikki tells in the dirt too about how he was with a girl who was very drunk and she was in a closet and Tommy Lee walks into the party and, and Nikki goes, I'll be right back. And, and he just tells Tommy to go into the closet, you know, and pretend that he's him. And then like, you know, she apparently doesn't notice. And then there's like another guy at the party that they think is like a virgin. And they say, Hey man, like go into the closet, go into the closet, you know? And it's the kind of thing that as you're reading about it, you're like, well, this is awfully close to being very rapey here, Mm -hmm. you know, and taking advantage of this person. And in fact, this girl called up Nikki 
and said that she was raped that night. And she goes on to tell this story about how she like got a ride from the party and this guy that gave her a ride raped her, you know? And then he of course is going on like thinking like, Oh shit. I thought she was talking about what we did. And I wasn't even thinking of like, we were just being playful or, you know, in our minds. And, and, and so like Nikki's actually been called out on this saying like, well, regardless of whether or not that was rape, you know, what you guys did was not cool in any way, shape or form. Um, and then Nikki's defense about this is, oh, well, you know, I wasn't sober when I was writing the dirt and I kind of made that up and it didn't really happen that way. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, your mileage may vary as to what you actually want to believe but anyhow that that is the aspect of it that makes it into into this song and the, the final thing i'll say about about this song that i that i think works in a rock song is whenever you have that primitive sort of childlike id you know that 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 comes out from like doesn't matter what you think we're going to do it anyway if it's something that a 3-year-old child would say um then it belongs on the lips of a rock star as well. Just like Kisses, I Just Wanna <laughs> could have been something a two-year-old would say. Um, I don't care what you think, I'm going to do it anyway, is 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 the province of like three-year-olds and saints of Los Angeles. Absolutely. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Next song that actually was the second single, Motherfucker of the Year. I love this song. I really do, man. I, I got, um, again, it's, uh, I mean, the chorus there, the, I mean, it's just, it's just a very well put together song, even if it uses the MF word, um, you know, the way that he tells his story or whatever. Um, and it's got a super great solid riff to it and, uh, strong, you know, I don't know how to explain it. Like it's, it's very intense. I can get really behind it, even though, you know what I mean? Like I almost feel like there's going to be some day in my life where I'm going to walk out of a, out of a room and be like, I'm the motherfucker of the year. You know what I mean? Just, it just, it's so badass. You know what I mean? Now, obviously that'll never happen. You know what I mean? Unless it's with like you guys or something, <laughs> yeah. but um, <clears throat> yeah, it really stands out. And at first when I saw it, I was like, Oh man, I'm not going to like this song at all, but you know what? It was great. It's just, it's just, true blue motley crew badassery you know what i mean I, and i really liked it so mike what do you think absolutely i think you know the verse intro and the chords um and also the, the end of the chorus it, you know there's it's very motley it's it's very you know of, of their catalog in a way and it works so you got the sort of descending chromatic wrists that you know that they're known for doing uh you know the chorus uh definitely has a catchy melody that, you know the here i am and you know hey now i'm the motherfucker of the year i mean it's 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 memorable it works you know it, again i think this sounds like a band that is focused and are working together and trying to write the best tunes that they can um and that shows through in, in, in the product um, definitely yeah probably one of my favorite songs on, on the record as well okay i don't know if i like it quite as much as you guys i think it's strong musically i think there could be a little bit more meat on the bone lyrically um i do think it comes from an honest place i think of that uh mm-hmm. 
cover of Rolling Stone where they had a picture of Motley Crue and it's and they said heavy metal. It's big. It's loud. It's <laughs> ugly, and it won't go away. Yeah. You know, um, and I, I, I do th- I do think that there is that attitude, of, you know, about the band. Like, oh God, it's these guys again. And yeah, I guess we have to tolerate them because they sell a lot of records and whatnot. But Jesus, can't we, you know, sign some real musicians and bands and whatnot and and i think that that nikki's always been keenly aware of that resentment and he's playing upon it here moving on to the animal in me uh nope 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 didn't like it at all i really wanted to and this is where the album starts to sort of take a dive for me um i i just i i don't know what he's trying to say in the song the music doesn't really stand up for me you know what i mean it's kind of generic sounding to me uh i have no idea what the song is supposed to be about it seems to be another one of these snm laden metal songs that someone who doesn't actually understand snm or whatever you know what i mean it's just i don't know it just doesn't work for me didn't like it at all it, it, for sure john it, it takes a left turn here in a way because you know there's no other song in this record that sounds like this song in a way you know it, it's a different approach to songwriting um, even though the production's cool, the drums are really mixed in a cool big way. Um, you know, it's it's almost it also reminded me of um, what's the, the the Kiss song in the Psycho Circus uh, LP, uh, Journey of a Thousand Years. Mm, sort of okay. you know big sweeping chords and the ascending riffs and sort of you know the drama you know that's in, involved with that. It, it, that to me was cool. Um, you know, I, I that was probably what I thought was the most interesting thing about the song was you know the chord changes and stuff. But to me, it almost doesn't sound like a Motley Crue song. It sounds like a song that might have been written by another band, um, in a way. You know, but I, you know, I like the drama. Yeah, I think the things that my takeaways here are definitely like the chord changes and, and the dramatic sort of tension that, that's involved with that. Uh, but it definitely takes the album takes a left turn, and it almost doesn't sound like Motley Crue in a, in a way. Um, but, you know, in a way, I don't mind it, but that also tells me that it's not really like you know the best song on the record. You know, just because it's a, it's a left turn, but you know. It, 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 again, it's, it's not a strong track on the record, but it's interesting in terms of just the chord changes and where they're going with it. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I think that this is the point where the album starts to become significantly less involving. Um, mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's kind of a dark, romantic love song, definitely S&M tinged, but it's not that interesting. Um it, you know, probably the only thing on the album that's even really close to a ballad. So I guess it, you know, mm-hmm. it deserves its spot just in terms of contrast. But yeah, again, not not that exciting. Welcome to the machine. This song didn't stand out to me at all. Again, this is where the album is starting to shrink for me. Like I'm not really. I didn't wind up paying a lot of attention to the song. You know what I mean? It just didn't really do much for me it sounded like they were sort of trying to write almost like a punk song but not really necessarily pulling it off i don't know it just it i mean i get what they're mm-hmm. trying to say about it you know the machine of the world the machine of the record industry blah 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 but i don't know just didn't do it for me i agree john definitely they were trying to do like a sort of like a punk rock thing in the chorus um you know again the concept is you know it, it's been it's been written about before and they're not really you know, making any improvements in that regard. Uh, you know, the riffs are heavy and, and, you know, the guitars sound huge, but at the same time, I also, when I listen to this song, it reminds me of, 
uh, the Velvet Revolver records. You know, the mm. riffs and the production reminds me of, you know, those two Velvet Revolver records. And, you know, those came out years prior to this. So, you know, was that an influence? I don't know. Uh, but again, you know, I'm Johnny guitar player, you know, gear nut, gear nerd and sound kind of guy. And I like the production. I like the sound. But is it a strong song? No, definitely not one of the strongest songs of the record at all. Yeah, I think lyrically it's it's territory that's probably been covered before and been covered better by Pink Floyd in a very similar way. Welcome to the machine. Um, you almost wish that they could have done something more universal about it because, you know, this is, I think, where the album starts to get so specific that that you know and self-referential that it's hard to relate to because yes the record industry is set up so that no matter how successful you are you will probably have a career that doesn't last very long and will probably end up in debt to the record company and you don't necessarily have to pay that debt back but you probably won't end up with a lot of money in your pocket when it's all the smoke and dust clears and yeah. you know motley Crue is one of the few bands that has actually been able to defy that but um so you almost wish that they could have extrapolated from from that and made the song about you know not just being signed to a record company but also the capitalist mm. machine or the machine of life or you know something that i mean because you know if you think about it we've gone from the beginning of their career i'm fast and young you know hot young running free a little bit better than i used to be which is kind of a universal thing anybody that's ever been young can relate to that feeling to oh this is me bitching about what it's like to be a rock star signed to a record company which very few people can actually relate to great point great point Right. Well, that's why the, the that's why the Pink Floyd song works so well is because it's about you becoming industrialized. You know what I mean? Instead of being outside, you're now working in a cubicle, you know, and that kind of stuff. That's that's why the Pink Floyd version works so well. And I don't even know why they would why they wouldn't even try and change the name or something, because mm -hmm. it, it makes you want to compare it to the Pink Floyd song, which is as sick yeah. as everybody from Pittsburgh is of hearing it over and over and over again, it's still yeah. a very great song. Yes. You know? Currently playing on WDBE right, right now. now. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right, right now, right. Uh, just another psycho. Again, whatever. I mean, it's a clever, cute, funny song, I guess, but, you know, it doesn't really do it for me. Um, you know, it doesn't give me any insight into him as a person, like this album is supposed to be sort of self-referential. So I want to like, I want to, I want a song about Vince Neil grappling with like moments of psychosis that he's had. You know what I mean? I don't want a song about, Oh, isn't it funny? I'm, I'm a psycho just like you or whatever. It just doesn't, I don't know. doesn't work again. This, this whole second half of the album just kind of slips off the radar for me. Me too. Uh, you know, the, the chorus, you know, lyrically really isn't that interesting at all. Um, you know, I, Again, I might you know sort of read things more into things than I should, but you know, again, when I listen to records, I think it reminds me of different other bands that I listen to. You know, to me, the intro is very like a Soundgarden type of riff, you know, which which works, but again, it's not really that strong of a song. But also the um, the the riff and the verse is absolutely re reminds me of uh, the Slash Snake Pit uh, song. I think it's called "Good to Be Alive." It's like da 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 ba, da da da. It's I, straight away, I was like, what is that riff? And I went back and dug up the CD and like, okay, there it is. <laughs> that, that's what it sounds like. 
but you know, if that's the most interesting thing you're going to find in a song, then you, you know, maybe you're not doing that great of a job as, as a songwriter. Way, it really, just it, the song is it, it's weak for sure. The second side, if you want to call it that, is is the weaker of the two sides in, on this album. This is an example of that as well. Yeah, I think it comes from a place of honesty. I know Nikki Six has a history of mental illness in his family, and his sister was. Um, um, spent some time in an asylum and, and things like that. And if you read the heroin diaries, he has definitely had a number of psychotic breaks mm. himself, uh, largely pro- perhaps drug induced mm-hmm. where he has not been so clear about what the reality is. Um, but does it really translate and make this a great song? I think this is the kind of song that a guy like Alice Cooper has done and done oh, yeah. better and 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 made it more relatable um chicks equal trouble <laughs> well just because uh, i mean when was the last time you heard the phrase i thought that pussy was gold um <laughs> you know but other than that song i mean you know what i mean like i can't think about that's like one of those cliches that i've heard before but then i'm like when was the last time i actually heard someone say that um no nah, it's whatever it's garbage i can't stand it i didn't like it at all Mike, I, I found it entertaining. I thought the title, as soon as I read it, was hilarious. Um, you know, you know, just you know, you know, what, what's the line? Um, you know, I, I like it, and I, I step right in the shit. You know, I should have known. You know, it, it also reminds me musically of uh, the song "Same Situation" in terms of mm. the chorus, in a way. You know, to me, it's not a great song, but you know, if the song can make you sort of laugh and you know, and kind of relate and realize that you know, relationships. Period, you know, or, or, or trouble, you know, whether it's a chick or whoever, a friend, or you know, they're they're never stable. They're never, you know, it's always essential for you know, being on thin ice. Uh, I, I found it funny. I, I found it entertaining, kind of catchy in a way. And I also like the fact that there's a sort of a classic Motley groove in the verse. Um, I love the double time drums, you know, in, in the intro. And, and again, the production's great. The guitars sound huge. You know, all the elements for you know a decent Motley Crue song is it one of their best songs. No. Uh, but it definitely put a smile on my face and made me chuckle just listening to the chorus and realizing that, you know, anytime you get in a relationship, particularly with, with a woman, you know, it's either going to be positive or, or highly negative. You know, there's always potential for things going askew. So, <laughs> yes, indeed, sometimes chicks do equal trouble. Yeah, it reminds me of that scene in The Warriors where they, they see the uh, the female orphan walking towards them and he goes, you know what that is, don't you? trouble um (laughs) but i i i do think that that the song again is self-limiting because it's so autobiographical i mean it's essentially about them being rich and famous and therefore attracting the sorts of women that are only attracted to them because they want to exploit them for their fame and wealth and I'm sure that is a problem for guys like them in their position, but it is not really that big a problem for 99% of the rest of us. Not to say that we don't have women troubles, but we don't necessarily have those women troubles. And so, you know, it becomes a, a thing of like, well, yeah, I don't really completely relate to that, but all right. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's there's a there's a lyric in here where I think they reference uh, Playboy Centerfolds or something like that, right? I mean, it's, yes. it's that specific. I thought I heard that. Okay, it is. It is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gladly taking applications for any gold diggers <laughs> that wish to. 
times is hot, boys. Times is hot. Right, exactly. This ain't uh, a love song. I actually kind of like the story in it. I mean, that actually kept my interest about it. I liked, I mean, even though the chorus was kind of silly, uh, I liked it. I liked the story uh, behind it. Is that written by Nikki Six? I don't, I didn't look that one up. It is, um, yes. Six actually gets it's, first writing credit uh, on this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a fun, it's actually a fun song. Um, this is the one, this is the song where I'm, I totally haven't lost faith in the album. I like the way the riff goes in it. I like the song, you know, I mean, I like the lyrics. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. I kind of dig it. So I, I liked it. Yeah. The parts about it that I liked was, uh, you know, the descending riff in the chorus and then sorry, the pre-chorus it's, it's very, you know, John Karabi, Aramotley crew, uh, which, which works for me. Um, the chorus, that riff. That, that guitar riff reminds me of some other songs. It's not the Janet Jackson song, you know, Black Cat, but there's some other rock song that uses that riff. And to, to, to this minute, I cannot think of what that song is. It's driving me nuts. So if anybody knows what that riff sounds like, please you know, chime in and let me know because I'm dying to know. But, but at the same time, it's a catchy riff and it works. Um, you know, but be the way, again, they revisit things like, you know, Driving Down Beverly Drive. I mean, it's, it's an LA themed record and, it, you know, it, it ties in in that regard. You know, it's not the, the greatest song on the record, but but it works. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, to me, it's almost an inferior version of the song Sick Love Song, which was one of the new mm. songs on Red, White, and Crew, which I think is actually a little bit more of an interesting song, both musically and, and lyrically, than, than this song is. Mm. Um, but those songs are kind of similar this song to me sounds like nikki six her darling nikki by prince and said like i could write a song like that i know what it's like to be feeling like that and you know the even the fact that he references she starts to grind you oh, know yeah. tells me that that may be the case yeah oh interesting it's one of the few so it's like the only song on the album that isn't vaguely self-referential either it seems to be a story about other people that are not them mm, i don't you know, know. I mean? well, I don't know maybe okay maybe i don't know <laughs> all right just thought white trash circus uh this actually stands out as one of the more uh stronger songs on the album this made me completely not think that the album had completely gone off the rails mm -hmm. um i i like it as sort of like a story about being in a band um you know how they sort of rate them you know the story of their lives or whatever i i, I actually liked it quite a bit i like the idea of them comparing themselves to a white trash circus i i liked it all around actually i thought it was a really good song I agree. With, I agree with John in terms of how it sort of you know, rejuvenates your interest in the record and makes you realize, okay, you know, we're getting back to you know the basics here, and this this kind of works. Uh, we spoke uh, about the new tattoo record where they covered the the tube song uh, "White Punks on Dope." I found that some of the chord changes in the intro definitely sound like you know the tubes, if if not that song "White Punks on Dope." It, it's cool. It's different. It's not just one four five in terms of chord changes. You know, it it's cool. It's creative. Um, I also hear a lot of uh, glam rock in a way. I was reminded of Gary Glitter, you know, those sort of, you know, chant along sort of, you know, songs. Yeah, yeah, good point, Mike, yeah. yeah. And, you know, in terms of lyrics, it, again, it made me smile. Anytime you can get like a lyric that makes me, you know, either laugh or just, you know, kind of, you know, feel good about things and just realize that maybe life isn't so bad, maybe life can be good. You know, you got another lawsuit, another arrest. We wouldn't change the thing because we love it, you know, to death. It, that's a cool lyric. <laughs> and only, 
you know, a band like Motley Crue could sell a lyric like that and, and wearing their sleeve and, you know, and walk the walk and talk the talk. I, I dig that part. And I think the chorus is catchy and, you know, it, it, but it also reminds me of uh, something that uh, Pink would have written in a way, mm. right? You know, there's certain songs that Pink does that sound like this. Okay. But somehow that worked for both both artists. To me, I hear a little bit of a Marilyn Manson influence on this song. That uh-huh. that kind of like hard rock shuffle laid back thing that Manson does sometimes. Um, but yeah. I agree with you guys. This is where the album starts to come back into focus for me. And... Uh, I think Motley Crue being the band that seems to always be perpetually on the edge of self-destruction, I think they capture that vibe in this song well. So final song on on the record, Going Out Swinging. Okay, Going Out Swinging I like because it's a nice sort of coda to the album. It sort of says like we're going to, we're still going to keep at this. We're what's, you know, we're still going to do what we keep doing. Here's we gave you our story, but we're going to keep going and you should, too, because you're our fans, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's actually, again, another strong uh, song. I like that it's, you know, uh, White Trash Circus and it's sort of uh, our nice ending to the album, a nice way to talk about the future of the band or, you know, that kind of stuff. So I actually liked it. I thought it was a good song. Good riff to it as well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Good, Mike. No problem. I mean, definitely the, you know, all the elements of, of a good Motley Crue song are there. You've got a heavier riff in the intro. You know, the, the drums are a killer classic Tommy Lee playing. You know, you've got the double bass in the verse. It's, it's you know, great contrast to the, the verse main riff and also the chorus. You know, definitely a good closer in a way. I could see where someone said, okay, this is definitely a way to, to close out the record. It's memorable. It's catchy. Uh, those descending riffs in the chorus are really cool. The solo section's cool with that sort of ascending riff. Um, and again, you've got the killer like baseline in the break, in the breakdown, which is classic Nikki. You know, it, it works. Mm. Like, definitely, like you said, John, it's a, it's definitely a, a great coda, if you will, for the record. You know, it again, it rejuvenates your interest in the record at this point. Um, and it makes up for some of the you know the filler that would be on you know the beginning of side two, if you if you call it that. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me feel. Yeah, it, it makes me feel that they could put something else out. I mean, I don't know if they're working on another album or whatever. Or have they released like singles here and there or whatever? They have. I don't know what their yeah. deal is. Yeah. Okay. Um, Cause I would, I mean, at this point I would have just said, okay, we're done. Thanks. <laughs> you know, because once you get to that self-referential thing, unless there's something you have to write about, yeah. you know, you might as well just call it quits, which is, I mean, I, I used to, I mean, I remember Joe Madden. I used to have this theory that any band should literally just break up after they've been together for 20 years. Like that's it. You should, you, you are legally required to break up because you're just going to make garbage at that point. Although in future life, for instance, this album, uh, Saints of Los Angeles, Mm. there is a pretty muddy past to Motley Crue. And from what I can gather, they take off a good six or seven years before they record again, right? And Yeah, they they put out a couple of singles. They put out Mm -hmm. uh, Sex and All Bad Things Must End. And then there's like five new songs on the Dirt soundtrack. But... um, yeah. yeah, I I I do think that one of the things that this album shows is one of the problems is as soon as a band becomes successful, the less their lifestyle has in common with their fans and so the harder it is for them to write songs that have a universal appeal that their fans can relate to sometimes. Um mm-hmm. like this album is kind of the limits of self-referential. Uh 
But I like this song a lot. Um, it reminds me of a story my dad used to tell me, uh, this parable about the guy who's playing baseball and it's the bottom of the last inning and there's two outs and there's two strikes and he's standing at home plate and he looks up at the score and it's 22 to one. And he thinks to himself, I'm probably not going to win this one. <laughs> and then he glances over to the young guy who's just started playing the game. And that guy, it's the bottom of the first inning and he's only losing by one run. And it occurs to him, he still thinks he's going to win, you know. And <laughs> to me, <laughs> that's kind of what the song is about. If I had one criticism of it, it's that the verses feel like a little bit of a throwaway. Like Nikki could have put a little mm. more meat on the bones to them. If the verses were as strong as the chorus, I think this could be a classic song all around. Yeah, yeah. Overall thoughts about Saints of Los Angeles? I restored my love of Motley Crue. It, it definitely, they did not become the band that was uh, falling out. Although I, I tend to have a, you know, that was, uh, as a friend of mine in college used to say, that band is ass out. Um, <laughs> meaning that they were over. And that was sort of how Motley Crue was. They were ass out. You know what I mean? They weren't, you know, they might have a few clever things here and there, but that was really the end of Motley Crue. And then this album comes out, it's really strong. And this is something that um, a lot of, if you listen to, if you grew up listening to like all that, you know, 90s rock and, you know, all that kind of stuff like I did, um, a lot of those bands went ass out. And then they took like two years, you know, six years off and came out with an album. And of course, I'm drawing a blank. So all I can think of is the who's the guy that was the singer for Motley Hoople, Ian Hunter yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ian Hunter put out an album, I think, in like 1999. That is like one of my all-time favorite albums. But I only I had it on a, a burned CD, so I don't even know where it is anymore. And I've tried to look it up on iTunes, but it was so strong and such a personal like message. And it was an album mm -hmm. that he recorded literally like at least 12 to 15 years after he had even attempted to record anything else at mm. all. And I was like, this is a amazing album. And so I sometimes feel like these bands need to break up for a decade and then come back and do the best that they can. But then again, sometimes you get, you know, whatever the Eagles hell freezes over, which was, you know, uh, not that great. So I, I don't know. I, I, I sometimes, that's how I sort of see this album is like they had taken some time off, reassessed themselves, you know what I mean? And was, were able to come in with like something really strong. So yeah, I, I like the album. It restores my faith in Motley Crue. Go ahead, Mike, you thought? Yeah, definitely, John. It's, it's kind of like, you know, if I had to grade, I'd give it like a B plus in terms of effort and, you know, and, and, and focus. I mean, it sounds like a band that has been recharged and refreshed. Um, they don't sound tired at all. They, it doesn't sound like it's, you know, it's worn out. I, again, I love that. I, I, I shouldn't say I love, but I like the production on it because I like, you know, the type of production that, that Marty does on, on records that he's done. Um, you know, it's funny that, you know, I mean, I, I mean, recently spoken to, to people that are friends that are musicians that, you know, love Motley Crue and a lot of them haven't even listened to this record, mm. you know, and I, at, at this point, now that I've heard it again, I'm going to re, you know, refer this record to, you know, to friends that, that, that like Motley Crue and have them check it out because, there's definitely some good, some good stuff there. 
in terms of you know catchy songs and mm -hmm. production and you know dave you said there, there might have been you know plugins that were utilized for for the tracking but if that's the case those are some damn good plugins man because it to me it sounds like you know it doesn't sound artificial in that way where sometimes plugins can sound sort of grating and harsh and this sounds the guitar sounds on this record are huge it, you know it works uh, and again I, you know I'll, I'll listen to this record more so again and i'll, I'll you know, check it out more so but you know i like the production on it um you know I, there's definitely some catchy hooky songs on it you know again you know, it, it it's definitely not phoned in they seem like they're focused but i have a question for, you know, for the group if you will in terms of the lyrics uh, in, ter in, in terms of the writing you know there's no information online that i could find in terms of you know who wrote the lyrics and who wrote the music you know wondering how heavily the influence of the producer was in terms of the lyric content and, and the concept yeah, I wonder that too. I my my guess is that Nikki probably wrote all these lyrics. I mean, there's nothing here yeah. that that seems like it's outside of his wheelhouse or beyond his capabilities. Um, you know, yeah. but I'm not sure. I mean, we should clarify too. Um, I, I guess Marty didn't produce the album. It was James that produced it, but oh, he right? he co-wrote oh. pretty much every song on it. So I mean, his influence is definitely felt. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, James and Michael and uh, DJ Ashba and Nikki produced it. Um, okay. But I do think that whenever you have a band that's this far along in their career and you can cite multiple songs like What's It Gonna Take and Saints of Los Angeles uh, that are as strong as anything they've done throughout their career, uh, that's impressive. And, and, you know, yeah. for that alone, even though the album kind of goes on a less involving detour somewhere in the middle, in a way, it's kind of a microcosm for their career because they, they are a band that started out strong and, and somewhere along the middle may have lost the plot to a certain degree and then has come back strong as well. So in, in that sense, it fulfills its obligation to, or its purpose to be a, a concept album that, that kind of uh, examines the entire career of the band. Absolutely. And also, I think one of my homework assignments uh, after this podcast is uh, the, the singer uh, in a band I'm playing with right now, The Claws, uh, Chad Cherry, the, the vocalist, uh, he was in a band called uh, The Last Vegas, who were uh, produced by Nikki Six, uh, Marty, I believe DJ Ashford worked in this record as well. And they were also opening some of the dates on this tour. Mm. Um, so I see him pretty much on a mm. week weekly basis. So I'm going to try to hit him up for some stories about you know, what it was like working with those guys and it was like touring with those guys. I mean, that must have been one hell of an experience. So, yeah. Yeah. How fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it, and again, in terms of, you know, references, this, this, this record sounds good too. It's uh, the one that was produced by Nick. It's called whatever gets you off by the last Vegas. Okay, so cool. Check have it out. Check that one out. Last Vegas, L A S T Vegas. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Nice. Cool. The last Vegas. All right. Well, then I guess we will be back next week to talk about The Dirt. And also there's a, a bunch of other like one-off songs that the band did, which like All Bad Things, Sex, the three new songs on <laughs> Red, White and Crew, even the couple songs on The Greatest Hits and uh, Supersonic that we haven't talked about. So I'll, I'll put together a list and between all that, we'll have uh, an album's worth of songs to talk about. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Okay, we'll see you next week for Motley Crue, The Dirt, and whatever else is left over. <laughs> <laughs>